Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Black and White Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Quentin Corkywell. It is Friday evening here on the East Coast. It has been a crazy week. Uh, Will Smith smacks Chris Rock in the middle of the Oscars. We've got Duke UNC in the Final Four tomorrow. The Lakers are crash landing as we enter the final few games of the regular season. The Suns are on their way to one of the best regular seasons ever. Um, we had an unreal Nets-Bucks game last night that saw Giannis make a statement and a half for why he should be the MVP. I personally still have Jokic, but Giannis has been nothing short of incredible, and I don't want to take away from that. Um, nevertheless, I got a lot prepared for you this episode. I wanted to start with some NFL draft. We are a little less than a month away, and draft coverage is only going to get hotter from here. Mock drafts. I know around now they're still kind of rough, but you would definitely think there's more of a consensus at the top 10 than a little bit ago. And I want to talk about that because I actually think it's indicative of how this first round is probably going to go uh, in the NFL draft. So we've seen what we've seen in these mock drafts from CBS Sports, USA Today, Yahoo Sports, ESPN, wherever. Um, We've seen a ton of variance because of, of a few factors. One is because a lot of the teams at the top, namely... Uh, Jacksonville, Detroit, Houston, and the Jets, they don't have any pressing needs that stand above the rest. Uh, Those teams, especially Houston, they just need players. Taking the best player available is probably the best option for them. Now, obviously, you could say for the Jets, uh, the secondary is the most pressing need. Uh, For the Falcons, uh, they haven't had an awesome defensive lineman in forever. Uh, Now that Calvin Ridley's been suspended for a year, there's a hole at receiver. Uh, But in general, these teams at the top need a lot, and that leads into the second reason for this potential variance. There aren't any prospects that are head and shoulders above the rest. Now, this isn't to say no one is awesome. It's actually the opposite. This is like the most awesome class just (laughs) of prospects uh, in a very long time. Again, the amount of guys that can make an immediate seismic impact, it's, it's... far beyond any class I've seen in a long time. But the question is like, is the separation between Jermaine Johnson and Kayvon Thibodeau that large? Can the same be said for Evan Neal and and Charles Cross? Charles Cross and Trevor Penning? Like, I really don't think so. Like, there's absolutely a possibility that the the Jets at 4 and 10, like, there's a possibility they have Derek Stingley rated higher on their board than Sauce Gardner. They could look at the 2019 tape of Stingley and factor in the disaster that was 2021 uh, in LSU. They could attribute that to Stingley's decline. And they could be like with Sauce, hey, we, he didn't play against good competition. Like there's an argument for Stingley over, over Gardner, even though I, I disagree with that. Um, and obviously this year's quarterback class is subpar compared to a lot of others. Um, now, again, that doesn't mean I think all of them will suck. I think Malik Willis, I think Sam Howell have extremely high ceilings. But, like, Seattle at 9 could easily look at Matt Corral as their next guy, even though I I disagree with that. I would disagree with that. Um, another thing, like, the teams that need quarterbacks right now, uh, you could make an argument for Detroit, Houston, uh, Atlanta. Like, there's no quarterbacks at the top where, like, okay, this is a slam dunk if he falls to us. No, that's, that's not the case. Um, and going back to the team side of it in the mock drafts, diving into the specific teams, 
Jacksonville is in an interesting spot where they tagged Cam Robinson and signed Brandon Scherf to a big contract. But you obviously want to protect your hopeful franchise quarterback. And Evan Neal and Ikiakuanu look like future stars in some teams' eyes. And even the online rankings, like those don't have a consensus either. And then on the other hand, on the defensive side of the ball, even though Josh Allen looks really good, Aiden Hutchinson is right there. Um, you look at Detroit too. I've seen Hutchinson. I've been seeing Trevon Walker. Um, the uh, I'll call him the front seven man from Georgia because he lined up all over the place. I've seen him skyrocket to two. I've seen rumblings of him possibly going first. I've seen I've seen Thibodeau. I've seen Malik Willis in this spot. Now I understand Malik Willis's uh, ascension into the top three in a lot of mock drafts. Um, I understand the pro day stuff, but I'm in the camp where it's like, why are we acting like this is the first time we've seen Malik Willis throw football? And also he's not wearing pads and there's there's no defense. So there's that. Um, Houston, I've seen at least six, seven different guys slotted to them. That goes back to the two factors of Houston needing basically everything. Like they're an expansion team right now. Their roster is literally an expansion team. And again, no one prospect or even a chunk of prospects is like way above everybody else. Basically what I'm saying is that I know we're in the era of insiders reporting stuff before uh, the pick happens when it pertains to the draft. We saw last year in the NBA draft, Woj and Shams reporting picks before they happen. Um, there was a, like there was a little hesitation over the who the, who the Pistons were going to take, even though it was pretty clearly can. There was some hesitation. There were some mock drafts on July 29th that had Mobley one, that had Jalen Green one, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was Woj who broke that the Pistons had deciding the morning of the draft, like that morning, it was reported that they had decided they were going to take Cave Cunningham. I really don't think we are going to know who the Jaguars are going to pick until Roger Goodell announces it. And the same goes with the Lions and Texans and Jets. I know right now, at least for the number one pick, Aiden Hutchinson is probably the best bet. He is the best bet on a lot of uh, betting sites. But it, it, that, like even that is nowhere near clear. Like I see a world where Aquan is the first pick. I see a world where, where Neil is the first pick. I see a world where the Lions trade back because they're like, we just need stuff. I see a world where the Texans, even though they have 3-13, and 13, they trade back because they're just like, we need stuff. So that's that for draft reporting. I think I just think it is going to be very wide open. I think it's going to be a similar vibe to the 2020 NBA draft where there are a few guys at the top that have arguments to be number one. But ultimately, I don't think we're, I really don't think we're going to know until April 29th. So that's that for draft reporting. I wanted to add a guy to my all-in list. Um, for a refresher, this list is compromised of prospects that I am completely and totally in on, like 100%. I don't, I, I don't love putting all my eggs into one basket pertaining to, well, a lot of things in my life. But when it comes to sports takes, you got to be aggressive sometimes. You can't be neutral. You can't be Switzerland sometimes. You got to be one side or the other. Um, so this all-in list, this is where I'm diverting a lot of my stock into when it, in regards to the 2022 NFL draft. Um, on the first iteration, I had Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, Nicobe Dean, Sauce Gardner, and Malik Willis in the right situation. That was my original five. So the sixth member of the 2022 all-in club Let's go to the offensive side of the ball. Let's hit a pass catcher. Yes, a pass catcher. Let's go to the West Coast. Let's go to SoCal. Welcome to the club, Drake London, wide receiver at a USC. So at the moment, London is my number one wide receiver in this 2022 
class. Uh, he is 6'5", around 210 pounds. He had a mismatch on basically every cornerback in the country in college. Um, it's great that he's big, but the fact that he combines that like very like daunting size it is it is daunting to opponent opposing uh members of the secondary the fact that he combines that with actual wide receiver skill like london has it he's got sticky sticky hands he has very sneaky nuanced route running he is sneaky elusive in the open field but um london his his best skill is just winning jump ball after jump ball after jump ball he led the nation last season in contested catches and played in only eight games. That's got to tell you something. And a lot of the time, Jackson Dart or Keaton Slovis would just do the fuck it, Drake, London down there somewhere and <laughs> thing and just and just heave it to wherever London was. And I would say there were more than a handful of times where the throw was a little bit off. London would just catch it almost every time. Now, uh, you've heard, if you've been following the draft a little bit, you've been following London's career a little bit, you'll know that he was a basketball player. He was a basketball player and going up for rebounds, like going up for loose balls, jumping in uh, amongst a lot of other bodies. Like, he's used to that, and he's mastered that. And I actually think London having to adjust to semi-errant throws has amplified his talent. Like, the body contortion has been incredible on some of these catches and he's gone up again he's gone up and smashed into multiple defenders with some of these catches like he is not afraid to sell out to catch the football but London he isn't just Mike Williams he's not just a he's not just a jump ball catcher he's not um now I'm going to talk a little bit about the Kenny Galladay comps later but like he's more than that he is an all-around receiver I wouldn't be adding him to this list if he couldn't do a lot of things you want to see out of a receiver. He also yaks it up. And that's naturally weird to think of a guy of London's size um, that as a guy that gains a lot of yards after the catch. You think those are more of the Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, uh, Kadarius Toney types of guys, the shorter, faster, shiftier players in the league. But London, he can do it a bit differently just because he's so big. Watching his tape... Very rarely did the first guy that hit London take him down. He either broke the initial tackle or it would take three, four, five, the entire defense to bring him down or both. And another thing I love, that guy's competitive. Like there was one play against, I want to say it was Notre Dame, where London caught, he caught it, broke a tackle, got the first down. And as he was going to the ground, his helmet came off. He just shoots up from the ground, stares wide-eyed at one of the defenders and sticks his tongue out, Dirk Nowitzki-style, and just starts shaking his head, like, furiously, like, ah, ah, like, all maniacal. Like, I really enjoyed watching that. And London, like, when watching him, he plays with, like, a nasty, plays with an edge. The reason I, I do like George Pickens, because of that same kind of nasty. You've seen the tapes... You've seen the videos of him blocking receivers. You just go, mm, pummels, absolutely pummels cornerbacks. Like, there's just this aggression, like this anger that Pickens plays with, and so does London. And I really, really like it. And going back to the not being able to get taken down thing, like, that matters. Like, getting those few extra yards, he always falls forward. And, like, that wears out a defense, too. So that's something. Um, 
One of my favorite parts about London, I just talked about it with Pickens. He, London is one hell, one hell of a blocker. Like, not only does he have the size to block NFL defenders, but he shows a, a an obvious desire to block. He wants to block. He puts his all into blocking. Like, I watched a guy like Chris Olave, great receiver, never really showed any interest in blocking. Like, that, that's big. That, that's important. That matters. And London's got it, which I really like. Now, you might be asking, hey, Quentin, Drake London's physical profile sounds great. What about his route running and general ability to get open? Like, I've talked about how he's a contest-to-catch god. He's got sticky hands. He's very sure-handed. Um, and it's a very important question, hypothetical listener, because for me, that is one of the two most important things I look for in pass catchers. Can you get open? And can you catch the ball? London's route running, while it isn't that of Devontae Adams, um, it's actually pretty good for a guy his size. He's pretty agile. As I said, he's elusive. Um, he lined up all over the place uh, at USC. They lined him up in the X, in the slot. Um, they designed screens for him. They designed slant. They designed go routes, uh, seam routes up the middle, comebacks, posts. Uh, he actually ran a, a a large variety of routes at USC. Um, and again, when he caught the ball in the open field, like he was very good both when he has the ball and when he's just looking to get open at finding soft spots in the defense and just getting open. He's good at getting open, especially in zone. Now, it's a little tough for him. It's naturally a little tough for him to get open in man coverage just because, he, look, he's not, again, he's not a super awesome separator. And I think there is a world where he does become Kenny Galladay. But, like, Kenny Galladay's good. Um, to everybody that was like he had a shit la- year last year, yeah, he did. He did. He wasn't great. But I think I, I just want to see him in this new offense under Brian Dable, um, under this new regime, where I think Galladay's abilities will be far better maximized than under Jason Garrett. But um, if Drake London becomes Kenny Galladay, great. Um but I think he's I think he has sneaky, sneaky good route running skills. Um my official comp for Drake London, probably Mike Evans. Just because they're so big and such like physical and powerful like presences as pass catchers. And look, Mike Evans again, not a route running messiah, but he's sure handed and he's a very trustworthy target on the outside and with London like again the blocking has really sold me and I, I think that is an extremely important part of being a receiver is blocking um, my favorite fits for London I like the Jets um, I know they have Corey Davis who is uh, another big bodied receiver but I like giving Zach Wilson another sure-handed big bodied target to complement Elijah Moore and Braxton Berrios I also like the Eagles like a Drake London, Devontae Smith, Thunder Lightning, big body, savvy, smaller route running star. I like that a lot. Um, I also like the Chiefs just as like the big bodied outside receiver Mahomes can trust. And when you look at the Chiefs personnel, now that, now that they don't have Tyreek Hill, uh, you might say Juju will just slide into that outside X receiver. No, Juju's a slot receiver. He does a lot of his work, basically all of his work in the slot. So Juju's in the slot. You can put Miko Hardman um, on the outside, even though he's kind of a slot receiver too. But um, like the Chiefs just don't have that big-bodied outside pass catcher. Um, so I think I think that would be a great pick if he does land in Kansas City. And obviously, I, you could throw in Green Bay 
too because I feel like any wide receiver is going to be in this first round is going to be better than what they currently have. Um, with London, I think he'll go in the mid, around the middle of the first round. I think he should go in around the middle of the first round. Um, another fit I was thinking about was Washington, but their receiver depth chart, like, it's not that bad. Like, behind Terry McLaurin, like, Curtis Samuel, a healthy Curtis Samuel is good. I think Deami Brown can be really good. Adam Humphreys is really, really solid. You also have Logan Thomas, too, with the tight end. And you have J.D. McKissick out of the backfield, along with Antonio Gibson. I think their receiving corps is fine. I think they could more add to that linebacking core. I think they could snag another corner, another member of the secondary. Um, I just think they have more pressing needs than receiver. And I think that notion that Washington needs a receiver, I would like to bust that myth. Um, But Drake London, welcome to the club. I am all in on Drake London. Okay. The number seven conundrum. So I've really been thinking about this, whether to add these two guys to the club. And it is Evan Neal, offensive tackle out of Alabama, and Iki Aquanu, offensive lineman out of NC State. I've been hesitant. I've just been going back and forth on what are the add to the club because I was initially reluctant to put offensive linemen in this group because of a couple of things. One, I initially believed a lot of the offensive linemen taken in the top 10 recently have not lived up to expectations. That's wrong. Um, now, you obviously have your Luke Jockles and your Greg Robinsons, uh, specifically talking about over the past decade. But that notion I made up in my head is it's not actually true. I, I was probably just thinking of Jocko and Robinson. But here's the list since 2010 of offensive tackles taken in the top 10. Throw out jo- Jocko and Robinson. Eric Fisher, Trent Williams, Matt Kalil, Lane Johnson, Brandon Scherf. You could count as a tackle. Russell Okung, Jake Matthews, Tyron Smith, Eric Flowers, Andrew Thomas, Ronnie Stanley, Jack Conklin, Mike McGlinchey, Jedrick Wills. Oh, that's a lot of really good linemen. Like, most of those guys are really good. Um, the other reason I was, I was hesitant to, to, put any, to put either of these guys um, in the all-in list is, um, like, look, the top of this O-line class, it, it's deep, and it's uber-talented. Uh, Neil, Aquanu, Charles Cross, they've got flaws that I think can be exposed in the NFL. Um, Neil, he does lean over too much sometimes, which throws off his leverage when blocking. Um, it, I know it's difficult to keep your balance when you're leaning downward to block basically everyone because Neil is 6'8". It's still something to note. Um, I also don't love how he struggles to get to the second level. He just doesn't have that natural foot speed at the moment, at least from what we've seen at Alabama. And Aquanu. When he doesn't, when he's not throwing defenders into the Netherlands, um, he has gotten beat a good amount on like nuanced moves, like swim moves, spin moves. He's shown uh, that he is exploitable in pass protection, and I don't, I don't love that. And uh, I mean, Cross too. He's just a very raw overall lineman, although the talent is there. And I know history tells us that it's likely at least one of these guys is going to hit. But I, I can't put them in my all-in list quite yet. Even though I think Neil and Aquanu and Cross uh, can, can be, especially the first two, I think they can be awesome. I'm just not all in on them yet. I'm just not. Um, maybe they will be. As my feel, if maybe my feelings will change over the pet, over the next month leading up to the draft, that's totally possible. But can't do it just yet. 
I don't have that that uh, confirmed Nassim. So Drake London, welcome to the club. Iki Aquanu, Evan Neal, maybe <laughs> you're on the wait list. You are on the wait list. Um, so yeah, Drake London in the club. So to recap, uh, Drake London joins Aiden Hutchinson, Kyle Hamilton, Nakobe Dean, Sauce Gardner, and Malik Willis in the right situation in the All In Club as of Friday, April first. So that was that. Um, let's talk about some NBA basketball. Let's talk about the New York Knicks with Ethan and Morgan. Let's go. All right, your favorite duo from the great state of Connecticut is back. Ethan and Morgan yeah. Morgwell. Talk about the suddenly young, energetic, skyrocketing New York Knicks that are surging at just the most inopportune time ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> fellas, how are you? <laughs> Great. I can't wait to watch the playoffs. A, a New York Knicks okay. playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't watch to see the joy in my life when Julius Randle pops anymore. We'll, we'll see. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. But let uh, a man dream. We missed the playoffs. Have this. All right. I'll, I'll let you dream. I will let you dream. I cannot stop a man from dreaming. So. The season is about to conclude. We only have about a week or so left in this. We're officially eliminated from the playing tournament last night with a Hawks victory. It's uh, It's been a relatively disappointing season in the Big Apple, considering the expectations that were placed on the Knickerbockers at the beginning of the season, uh, for pining for another playoff appearance. But alas, these final few contests are likely to be, are guaranteed to be, actually, the last of the season. And uh, as we wind down, the 2021-22 season, uh, we've got some things to go over. And uh, it's been a minute we since we did an official group check-in on the Bockers. And recently, it's actually been pretty positive. Uh, the young guys that Knicks Nation has been pining, campaigning to get more playing, that have been jailed from the light of NBA <laughs> basketball courts for more than minutes at a time. Tom Thibodeau finally caved over this past week or two, and the results have been... I don't want to call it intoxicating for Knicks fans, but it's almost felt that way recently with some it performance by guys like R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. Um, the Knicks this past week won four games in a row for the first time all season. Let's start with our Lord and Savior, our young Messiah, our young prophet. That is number nine from Duke University, Rowan Alexander Barrett Jr. So, R.J. Barrett, he has averaged nearly 26 points a game since February. I believe he has officially supplanted Julius Randle as the number one option on offense. Uh, we're going to get to Julius in a bit. Uh, we, we talked about at the beginning of the season what exactly constituted a successful R.J. Barrett season. I think whatever has happened he's, uh, and everything leading up to it, even including the rough stretch he had to start the season, especially in November, I think this season has, uh, you can dub it as beyond yeah. successful. Um, Morgan, I'll start with you. What have you loved the most about R.J. Barrett's ascent uh, over this, incre like, this incredible stretch run he's enjoyed uh, over these last couple of months? What I really enjoyed watching R.J. Barrett blossom is actually um, just how confident he's become in just getting the ball and just making a basket. Like, to begin off the year, he was a little bit timid. Every, well, 
the entire Knicks roster was a little bit timid trying to figure out how do we replicate last year. And um, at the turn of the year um, into 2022, RJ Barrett really set, really found his spot in stride and really started to ball out. Ethan, what do you got to say? No, I, I think along similar lines, you know, he started off the season in a little bit timid. And I think because everyone's still like, oh, you know, Julius Randle's still the first option. And it was just kind of a like weird, like wonky spot where it was like, you're kind of like, well, isn't RJ kind of a better score at this point than Julius Randle? But then now I think he's kind of, he's fully embraced being the number one option on offense. And, you know, as we've seen over the past, like, 10 ish games, you know, he's, he's fully comfortable now being the first option for his team, you know, going out there and getting buckets. Yeah, I think RJ Barrett right now has become a better scorer than Julius Randle, a lot in part because. R.J. Barrett's game is far less predictable yeah. than Julius Randle. Like, when Julius Randle gets the ball, he's going to do one of three things. He's going to try to bully you in the post. He's going to face you up and try to hit a hard-ish step back three. Um, that's all I can think of. So he's basically going to do one or one of two things. You forgot than... the spin move. You forgot the spin move. Oh, shoot. Oh, that's why, that's, that's why, that's why basketball references first nickname for Julius Randle is Beyblade. Sorry, I forgot <laughs> about that. I chose to suppress that from 2019, but it's kind of back. <laughs> I thought those days were over. Um, but yeah, RJ, he's been looking, yeah, again, that, that word comfort. He's looking far more comfortable everywhere on the floor now. He's not shooting lights out from three. He's not shooting lights out from yeah. the free throw line, but he has gotten way better. And that's all you could ask for out of a Knicks rookie, especially a lottery pick. Like the thing I've loved most, is just the simple fact that Barrett has ascended, like not just this year, but each year he's been in the league, especially Very considering cool. The history of the Knicks lottery selections. Are we ready yeah. for some painful Knicks history just for like 35 seconds? Uh, I'm ready. I, think, I, think, I, think, I think I know the stat you're going to drop, and I'm ready for it. Here are each of the Knicks' top 15 overall selections since Patrick Ewing. Kenny Walker, Greg Anthony, Frederick Weiss, Nene, Nene yeah. Mike Sweetney, Channing Fry, Danilo Gallinari, Jordan Hill, Porzingis, Nilakina, Knox, Barrett, Toppin. So we don't obviously we don't know what's going to happen with, o. but RJ Max. is really only the second young homegrown Knicks lottery selection to really blossom into a star since the mid '80s. Yeah, I think I, that's important to. It's scary. I think there's also sad out there that. No, like no Knicks first round picks has gotten a second contract with the team. The Charlie Ward curse, of course. Yeah, it's, I mean, but I think obviously now, barring anything completely unforeseen, RJ will be getting a second contract with the Knicks, and hopefully getting a nice pay raise to show that he's the best player on the team. Yeah, I think looking at his game, um, I, I just love how that he he's not in his offensive yeah. tool bag, which is which is great. But he's again, he's taking the reins of this offense. He, I would say, almost the unquestioned leader of the offense now. Um, I think he's earliest. Yeah. Is our Napoleon? Um, <laughs> the like the assertiveness. The assertiveness is great. Pre All Star break, RJ was averaging four point three throw attempts a game. The number is nearly doubled to 8.9 free throw attempts a game. 
And RJ had the, the finishing gene in him. I, I was saying it since his rookie season. I think RJ Barrett is one of the five best finishers at the rim in the entire league. But I think just gaining that comfort on offense, I think that stems a lot from the situation the Knicks have been in during RJ's tenure. Like 2019, that team was a disaster. 2020 was way better. And 2021, now he had that year of being on a team that wasn't so discombobulated. And now he was able to figure his stuff out. And now we're seeing RJ officially average 20 points a game, which is awesome. Yeah. I think another yeah, I thing, think... too, is his you go, defense. You, go. Oh, you can go. Oh, so I was about to say, I remember my earlier prediction when we were first predicting what, um, what would be a successful season for RJ. I'm just thinking to myself, um, do you guys remember what I said? Because I do, and I'm hoping no one else here is going to remember it. Right. Did you project that RJ Barrow was going to average 20 points a game? Or no, was I was predicting he was going to go like nuclear from three, like halfway into the season, and start averaging like 40% from the three. Oh. oh. Uh, well, that hasn't happened, unfortunately. Was that not what you said? <laughs> no, no, that's what I said. That is what you said. Okay, uh, well, I don't think uh, he's gotten there yet. I think he's, what, somewhere around 34, 35%? Oh, yeah. I think I have, let me see, yeah, 40 34.6. 34. 34.6. 34. Hmm. Okay. Not, not great, but not No, bad. it's just he's willing to take it now, and now he's a semi-threat, which, yeah. which is all we could ask for at the beginning of the season. Yes, yeah, because now that he, like, he might not necessarily be as good, but at least he has like, at least he has that threat like, where you, you can't just like sag off from three-point line because he'll, he'll make the shot. So you actually have to like, guard him out there versus you know, kind of give him some space and watch, worry about the drive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to move to another young Nick draft pick who I have also thoroughly enjoyed watching. Uh, let's talk about Emmanuel quickly because I think his performances other than R.J. Barrett's have been most impressive thus far over this last little bit. Now, his stats don't leap off the page when you look solely at his, his stats. Uh, he's averaging 15 a game over the last month and a half, but his in-game That's- impact, has been pretty immense. He sent South Beach to its knees with a 19-point oh, yeah. fourth-quarter explosion to shock the Heat last Thursday. Uh, he looked to be on his way to igniting another Nick comeback against Charlotte on Wednesday, and then Tom Thibodeau couldn't help himself and pulled him for Evan Fournier, which, we which, so made me, which that, that got me pretty upset. Ethan, uh, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to ask the same question I did about RJ. What has impressed you most about Quickly lately? I think this is really, honestly, I know I go for instance for all the young Knicks players, but I think it's just the energy that he brings on the court. Like, like it was just like, like you said, there's just a noticeable difference when like Emmanuel Quickly's on the court versus like Evan Fournier's on the court. Just not, not even in terms of like points and scoring necessarily, but just like the energy of the team. Like, it just feels fun. Like, it feels like people are trying, you know. And like you just see like in this the chemistry that they have, and I think that although like I don't think quickly necessarily has as high of a ceiling as RJ Barrett, like I think he could very much go on to be pretty much a great scoring guard for us. That just you know better than a three and D guy, but just you know someone who can just honestly, I I don't want to say Lou Williams, but like just certified bucket getter. Yeah, you know? Morgan, what do you got? Um, similar to Ethan's take, I 
Um, I was really impressed with just the energy he brought, as well as, like I said, similar to RJ, just his confidence of just taking these shots. Like, this year I saw a great um, leap in confidence when he was shooting some of his deep threes or some of his signature floaters. And I think as long as our young star players show their um, just show confidence in their shots, then I think the Knicks are in good hands. Yeah, I think for me with quickly, the energy I absolutely love, but I think with this recent stretch, the energy has actually turned into production because yeah, that's also there have been plenty of games. Uh, it was especially apparent in the Hawks season last year, or excuse me, the series last Ooh, year. Yeah. Um, like quickly was obviously excited. He looked extremely antsy that entire series, and I, I, I love the energy. There was it was game one or game two or I forgot what game. Quickly hit a couple of threes, guarding erupts. He's bouncing around. That's great, but a lot of the time he wasn't hitting shots. Yeah. Despite his energy, and now he's turned that energy into actual production. He's been hitting the shots. I knew it was especially apparent in Miami. Yeah, and, that game was just. But, but even when he does shoot, like, one for eight from three, which there have been plenty of nights, obviously, he's just constantly moving. And his pace is even more noticeable because it's such a stark contrast from a guy like Evan Fournier. He does move, but quickly moves even faster. Like, he's just slowed down he's just, a lot. He's always lost one back. And then when quickly comes into the game, the tempo just increases. It increases, and especially if the Knicks are down, you can't be moving slow. And I keep hating on – I'm sorry. It's really hard to not hate on Julius Randle right now, but if the Knicks go down, when Julius Randle speeds up, unless he has a wide-open look at the basket, he's forcing stuff. Yeah. But quickly on screens, he's, he's taking good shots. Um, it's just a lot of the time Julius takes a while to get into his sets. Quickly, he's pushing. Like, he's pushing it a lot. Like, I was at the Warriors-Wizards game the other night, and I, didn't, I haven't really thought about, like, the value of a guy pushing the pace off of an inbound. But Jordan Poole, the second he gets the inbound pass, he's bam. He's in the half court in five seconds. And that forces a defense to stay on their toes. And quickly's kind of the same way, just in general, not necessarily off the inbound, because that's very nuanced and specific. Constantly moving, constantly keeping the defense on their toes. And I don't know, man. I just I just really appreciate what quickly has brought and the confidence, too. Because you always appreciate confidence in an NBA basketball player. Yeah, no, I think that tempo thing is a very good point. And just like, because the problem with, and you'll obviously speak a lot about him later, but I think that's the problem with Julius Randle is that it's, it's like when the Knicks trail and like when we need him to get buckets. It takes him just so long to get into his sets and do his stuff in the post that like we can't do that, and then it just ends up with him, you know, taking really bad mid range and three point shots that he just shouldn't be taking because he doesn't have anything else in his bag. Versus someone like quickly, you know, he can really he pushes the tempo and he he keeps the defense on their toes and it's just unpredictable in what he does, kind of like RJ. All right, um, any other young guys we want to highlight? Uh, Obi, do we want to talk yeah. about Obi? I think we should talk about Obi. We gotta uh, talk is, about. Him. I mean, he's the best power forward on the Knicks, so I think we kind of have to talk about him. <laughs> he is the most enjoyable power forward to watch on the Knicks, at the very, very least. He is, I, he is very, very enjoyable to watch. Uh, Mike Breen saying alley oop to Toppin. Uh, alley oop to Toppin. Mm. Beautiful music to my ears every time. Um, what have we seen from Obi? I think it's the same. For me, 
it's been the same stuff we've been saying all season. The pros have been the pros. And the cons are like, they've been the cons, but he's just gotten like a slight increase in minutes. And I think that game against Charlotte where he played basically the entire game and nearly had a triple-double. He was like four assists away from a triple-double. Um, what have we liked? What have we, what have we enjoyed about someone who is enjoyable to watch? I mean, it's easy to say. I mean, yeah, I think this. I think we've been saying like, you know, he's he's not going to really. I don't think like evolve that much. Like he's always he's going to be a great offensive player. He's not going to be the greatest player defensively, but it is what it is. And I mean, I think that. Still, like, just, just like, I mean, we talk about tempo, like, him just being able to, like, on the fast break, just run up the court like that and just be an option up there for alley and stuff. Like, it's just great. And, like, to have someone like that, like, you know, unlike some other power forwards on the team that might not, you know, want to die out there, he looks like he's, you know, he's putting his effort and he's, you know, putting his blood, sweat, and tears into the game. It's just refreshing to watch. There was a clip I've seen where, um, Drew, um, where Obi Toppin basically ran two suicides on the court. Somebody tried to, he got a defensive stop, ran up the court. Someone took a shot, missed. Fully sprinted all the way back on defense. Um, turnover, and then they, he fully sprinted for the alley But I think that's what the, I think that's what new, um, the next basketball really needs to try to focus on. Is just we have all these young guys that can run. That can um, that can run and bring a lot of energy to the team, and I think Obi really in encases what the Knicks should really focus around. Yeah, I think with these last few games of the season, now that there's nothing really to chase other than lottery odds, I I proposed this a little bit ago, as have many Knicks fans, as have many NBA people. Just let them, just let the kid. Yeah. Still for the sun. Yeah, let the kids play for these final two games. Like Alec Burks, love Alec Burks as a backup wing. I love Alec Burks as a backup wing. That is his role. That is where he's best maximized. I don't want him playing not just, like, <laughs> you saw the stat. He's played the most minutes out of any player this last calendar month. Any NBA player. Oh, no. His minutes to Obi. Give his minutes to yeah. Quentin Grimes, who I want to talk about. Next drafted looked like very good draft picks. Next have done a very good job of drafting these last few years. Now, I think it's time these last few games to see what they've got because there's nothing to play for in terms of playoff. Yeah, I think he's he's really got a lot of play. We got to let him see, and I think a lot of it comes from it. I know you said we're gonna talk about Quentin Grimes. I also want to give a quick shout out to Jericho. I think he's been looking great. That's another energy guy. Super, super athletic. Like, I mean, I don't know. I think honestly at this point, I'm kinda I'm kinda fine honestly with losing Mitch at this point because I think I think Jericho Sims can kinda just, you know, it's gonna I know it's gonna hurt, but I'm ready with Jericho Sims. Like I think he can take over the role. Wow, you're really that, losing. That, the... that, that, now that's but... awkward since I was legitimately <laughs> about to talk about how happy I was to have Mitchell Robinson about to like <laughs> run like entire games and being like side by side flying buddies with Obi. So no, but you, you really like, kind like, of prevented like, me from that setup there. I like <laughs> this, but it's just that like I I just want like we're gonna have to pay him and it's like 
it, why why would we just not let Obi Toppin do his thing for significantly less money? Or not Obi Jericho Sims. Okay, thank sorry, you. Jericho well, Sims, okay, sorry. so okay, let's let's well, talk about this. Who's behind Jericho Sims will never die. Um so Perhaps he's yes, probably he's still gonna be there. Nerlens Noel's body won't let him play basketball. All right. Uh, apologies for the technical difficulties. I thought I was going to avert that this time, but unfortunately we couldn't. But just like Mitchell Robinson does a lot, we will rebound. So any final Mitchell Robinson thoughts before we go? Ethan, I'm so perplexed as to why you think we can just let Mitchell Robinson go now that Jericho Sims has emerged. I, I want to see what he like. I want to see what he gets on the market because I feel like a team could end up overpaying him. And considering we already have so much money invested in Nerlens Noel, like if some teams like, hey, we're going to give you some like five years, like four year, sixty million dollar deal, like are we really going to run and jump with that? Or they can just draft Mark Williams. They could. We, we need a point guard. We, we need gonna, a point guard. We don't gonna, pick a point say, guard I'm, I'm going to swing. I'm going to riot if we don't draft Ty Ty Washington. Interesting. Well, unless we get a top, unless we get like a higher pick, then maybe we get Jaden Ivy. But that's kind uh, of a little, that's wishful thinking. I'll let I'll let a man dream. I'll, I'll let a man dream. Um, but yeah, Quentin Grimes said it 13 times. Say it again. He's going to be in this league for a decade, contributing to winning teams. And even if he's not contributing to a winning team, he's going to be contributing. Fouls. Okay, now we must talk about Julius Randle. Insert evil music. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, to my past, if you just heard me say that phrase in the tone I did, things have, things have gone sideways, unfortunately. Oh. So Julius Randle has experienced a sharp decline in basically everything from last season, both statistically and in vibes and off-court presence. <laughs> So I really want to examine why New York has, has turned on Julius Randle. Uh, Ethan Morgan, let's put on our investigation jackets. Let's get out our magnifying glasses. Uh, what have you guys seen that you feel has root causes of New York turning its back to Julius Randle? There are a few right. you could start with, but I want to hear what you think of first. All right. I know this might be very hard for some people to comprehend. However, I'm, I'm starting to think that last year of Julius Randle was a fluke. Now that I think I a know, lot of I people know. might be, will might be, be a little too crazy. <laughs> yeah, you might not be the first one to come up with that. <laughs> Anyways, continue. Um, I I kind of don't know why all of a sudden Julius Randle just kind of started to revert back to his old self. I mean, we had expectations. Everybody in New York was happy. People saw him being the first option with beginning of the year. And, like, for that first, like, week, week or two, he's, like, everything seemed fine. And then all of a sudden, it sounded, kind of just looked like all of a sudden he just reverts. And I don't know why, but he just kind of did. And that kind of led to all the turmoil with the Knicks. Ethan, yeah, you've got your magnifying um, glass and your investigation I'm jacket. I, what, are you, what are you finding? I'm – down a similar route, I just think I think people had unrealistic expectations going into the season. I don't I don't want to call it necessarily a fluke, but I, I think he I think he might have peaked last year and I think people were kind of expecting that he was gonna be able to stay at that level or even increase at that level, which I think is just kind of was never gonna happen. 
But I think just being New York, I think I think because we got that taste of success last year, and we we're like, oh, we're a good team now. And then the fact that it's like, no, Julius Randle's still just probably a slightly above average, you know, NBA player. Like, and then he's and he's not actually, you know, third team All NBA caliber every year. That I think people just it just ended up people turning at him, and then at this point, I just think it's just a vicious cycle. I think you see it with a lot of Knicks is that is you see the initial success kind of similar with Melo. You see it like he comes in, he starts falling out. Everyone loves him, and then kind of by the end, results aren't there, and people start turning on him. So, here's what I think the main cause is: it is the energy That's, yeah. on the court. The on-court energy is what has Knicks fans turning on him. It is the throwing his hands up when he doesn't get a foul call. It is doing a double clutch fallaway three pointer, and the ball just smacks off the glass, and he. Wants Man, that's, a foul that's my call. favorite. That's my favorite move of all time. Uh, it's just not over, over the spin move, over the spin move. I was getting to the spin move. I'm getting to the spin move, <laughs> getting to the spin move. It's a spin move. And he, when he just loses the ball, when he just loses the ball, when he dribbles it off his foot, when he tries to make a pass out of a shot and he completely misses the guy, it's not getting back on defense. It's jogging yeah. back on defense and his man sprints by him and gets an easy layup. It's completely missing a rotation on defense than looking at his teammates as if they were the ones that messed up. Now, your average Knicks fan might be asking, well, I, I got I got a. You got what? You got another you got, one? I, I got I got a theory. I got a theory about the spin move. Uh, OK, I'd right. like to hear uh, this. So I'm thinking at least Randall reverts to the spin move as to try to either a just hurl the ball at the ref. Like, let's say he's having a bad game. He's, like, legitimately not getting called. I see him turning to the spin move, just wielding up the ball and just shucking it at the ref and be like, so oh, like, I missed. So, like, Adam Sandler in the, long, in the longest yard. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Essentially, yeah. Okay. That's a theory. Do you or have another one? Or if he just does it so many times that, like, NBA players just straight up think he's not going to do it, they're, they're going to think, okay, He's known for doing spin moves, so he's going to do something else, and then he does the spin move. That's the only possible reasons I, I could just conjure to think he continues to do it. Well, Eggie's <laughs> and go. I'm, I'm open to uh, other I gonna, ideas. I, I mean. I have a, it's not really a theory, but I just want to point out like the correlation between the amount of times he does the spin move and how good he is. Because I would argue that last year he did the spin move by far, like, yeah, significantly less they did in 2019. And I just want to point out that was also his most successful year. So, like, maybe if he stops doing the spin move, he'll be better. Because I've, I've never seen it successfully work. No, it's it's, defi- it's definitely worked, especially because, like, when he's on, like, Julius Randle's an awesome basketball well, player. When he's, when he's on, on. but like, he's never, I'm he's saying, never yeah, on I'm saying, He's got to get way. there first. Yeah, I, I'm aware. He has to get there first. But going back to what I was saying, like, your average Knicks fan, they might be asking, well, wasn't he doing this stuff last year that we're currently complaining about? Like, yeah. yeah. Mostly, yeah. yeah. But we could tolerate it because he was balling out, and the Knicks were winning for the first time in forever. Winning covers up that kind of stuff. Okay. And losing exacerbates that stuff. Yeah. And the Knicks are losing now. And Randall is just not nearly as impactful. And, again, those, like, annoyances to Knicks fans, like, they are becoming more noticeable because the Knicks are losing. Like, think of the guys that Knicks fans have loved over the years. Think about guys like 
Anthony Mason. Think about guys like John Starks, Jeremy Lin, Obi Toppin. I want to get to RJ in a second when talking about this. Differently, but yes, we love Steve Novak. But, like, Mace, Lin, Toppin, Starks. What do they all have in common? And Barrett, too. They just just play basketball. They just play basketball. They go hard every night. They play basketball. There is no complaining. There is no there is no whining. There aren't any shenanigans. There's no there's no drama. Uh, they, if they make a mistake, they just hustle back on defense. They're hustlers. They're constantly hustling. Nick fans love hustlers, and it, like nothing that resembles anything like a, a diva or any kind of negative personality. Like Julius Randle, unfortunately, <laughs> radiates a negative personality on the basketball court. And it's costing yeah. the team. It's costing a team. That's a huge. It's a huge reason why Knicks fans love Barrett and Toppin because they just hoop, and they keep things moving, and they don't walk around like they're miserable on the basketball court. That's like one of the weirdest things to me with Julius Randle. You hear all these stories about him like working as hard as possible. There's the the players' trivium piece from last yeah, year, which was amazing. There's him. You hear the stories of him trying to find, like, the nearest gym. Like, the work ethic is resembling that of, like, a Kobe descendant. And then when you watch him play basketball, he just looks like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, did you see the Bulls game? It's so perplexing. Like, when he goes to set a screen, he just stands there. He just walks down on offense. There's no urgency. When he gets the ball in the post, he looks like like his mom is forcing him to be there. Like, someone is forcing him. To play basketball, it is the weirdest thing. And I, I, I want one of you to, to try and to try your best and, and solve why why that is the case. Because I'm I'm dumbfounded. I, I mean, I think I think it's like a cycle because I, I think that now that the fans have turned on him, I just think it's like I think it's affecting him mentally. Like like then like that in the bulgus game that was that was just extremely perplexing to me that he just like we just win a, a game. And he's just like screw it, I'm out of here. And just walks into the locker room by himself. And, like, I just, I think at this point, I think it's just, I, I don't know. I think I think he kind of needs someone to pick me up. And I, it's going to sound unrealistic, but I, I really do think, genuinely think a change of scenery would help him just so much. Like, I, I don't know. he's Because he, he keeps saying, yeah, like, you know, he's, he's built for this environment, but... His attitude on the court, like he just, he just, he just seems like he's like he can't deal with the fans cheering him and like chanting Obi's name every single time he touches the ball. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what happened. He bought out, got the bag, and he doesn't care anymore. Like that's yeah. He did get that, he got that, paid. That's it. He, he bought out last year, got essentially a max contract, and he's like, what What am I doing anymore? What Why am I putting in all this effort? When I've heard, when I'm making thirty plus million dollars per year, yeah, I, I think mean, that's I think that's the interesting thing with NBA players nowadays. They're just the bag, take, yeah. well, not necessarily that, but just taking your money when you can get it, because the betting on yourself is great, but that's basically like, what if he had? What if Julius Randle had bet on himself? Like, I, I don't think he, he Ooh, I don't think he gets he, a max contract this summer. No, nowhere near a max contract. I don't know. I don't think a team goes over twenty five for him at this point. This no. just because you look at like the other pieces you would need around him to be successful. Like you can't you can't justify you know paying him like a even a, like I think at best on a championship team he's what maybe maybe a third option. But that's the thing. Julius Randle is never 
been a third option. Like people, like NBA people, don't think he could succeed as a, like an ancillary option just because of his his desire to always have the basketball exactly. in his hands. Yeah, and this is another thing I want. I haven't done this, but I want to do this. I want to keep. I want to have like a tracker of when I watch Knicks game of how many times he's just the last person back on defense. Like it's, it's just genuinely surprising me because you would think if it happens consistently, he might put more effort into getting back on defense. But I think every single time he's on the court, he's he's always the last person back on defense, regardless of his position on the court. And I I just I just don't get it. I think I think he can change his ways. With one tactic, I think he. Trade. I think just his energy. He can change his energy. Now, how does he do that? I say look at the R.J. Barrett blueprint. So R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle both have had plenty of games this year where they don't shoot well at all. They're like 5 of 17 from the floor. It's happened plenty of times. Now, what does R.J. do in press conferences when he has one of those nights or when he shoots uh, 6 of 12 from the line? He admits his faults. He admits his faults. He goes to the microphone and he says, I stunk tonight. I was not good, and I'm going to keep working at what caused me to have a bad game tonight. I'm going to keep working on free throws till I die. I'm just going to keep shooting and shooting and shooting until I get better because I want to get better. Julius Randle doesn't do that. Like uh, the th- That's another component with RJ, why Knicks fans love him. He admits his faults. Mm-hmm. He admits his faults. He's real. If he goes 5 of 19 one night, he's like, yeah, I stunk tonight. And if he plays well, they'll be like, yeah, I attributed that to hard work. Because tough guys and hard workers win in New York. Julius Randle has not been like, look, he's gotten hate. And it's hate from New York. That is like a different kind of hate than li- literally anywhere else. Yeah, that's like the that's only one that thing. could even like semi compare to that is probably Philly. It's not, not even though. Like New York hate is like, it's bad. Like, and he was at a press conference just, I don't know if it was last night or the night before that, sometime this week, he was like, yeah, it's really hard for me. Because, like, Kaiden and my family, they've had to leave games early. Yeah, I've but seen that. But the thing with Julius, it's like, you can change the narrative about you. If you were like, hey, like, I shouldn't have acted like we just lost by 30 at the end of the Bulls game. He, he should have been like, I shouldn't have done that. Even like I missed a bunch of rotations tonight, I should have been better about that. I guarantee you, if he takes that R.J. Barrett blueprint when talking to the media, or just talking about himself, talking about his play, like I think the narrative can change with Julius. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, I-, I think it's definitely it's a positivity thing, and I mean, I think like you say, like although the you know, New York, like, sports fans are extremely vicious. I think they also respect hard work, and, you know. And we like, saw I, la- last year. We yeah, saw it's, last year. It's we exactly. It. We, we, put, we put up with it all last year because, you know, we could see that, you know, he's working hard and, like, and the results were showing. And I think that, like, that's, that's just the thing is, you know, you look at, like, the Knicks haven't had, you know, outside of really mellow, like, they haven't had that many, you know, like, even just honestly, like, elite like top nba players but like we still there's still so many like fan favorites and it's all people that you know work hard they own up to their mistakes you know like you said like at the end of the bulls game like 
like I get it, you know. And it, honestly, it would have been a great spin for him to be like, you know what? Sorry, I was really just mad at myself because I played a crap. I had a bad night, you know. I didn't rotate. I missed. I took some I, bad I should. Shots. I should. I should have been happy that we won. Yeah, he's like, I should have been happy that we won, not and not even focus on myself. You know, it's about the team at the end of the day, just stuff like that. You know, because I, I think that's the thing is I think if he's willing to, you know, take some blame and you know, be the bigger man, I think that I think fans would be more willing to meet him halfway. Just because you look at his like you know shooting stats versus like RJ Barrett, like they're not, they're not that like they're pretty similar. Like it's not like it's not like one, it's not like RJ Barrett's you know lining it up from the field every night. So, but RJ's thing is that he owns up to it and he's like, yeah, like I had a bad game on me, and then they fans are like, okay, you know we respect that you're still working on it. Versus you know, Julius tries to kind of dodge the question. It, it just leads to it doesn't seem like he's trying to take accountability, which is what a real leader does. And then RJ goes out and shows that he's been working on his shortcomings. Exactly. Yeah. Great scoring performances that helped his team, that helped the Knicks win. More, you have anything else? The one question I just continue to ask myself whenever I see Julius Randle play is why does he keep on going back to the things that everybody either predicts or just knows he's going to do? Like, everybody knows, at least every defender or New York Nick basketball follower knows whatever he does the spin move, it's either gonna be a turnover or just a bad shot. So I'm just trying to think of like why he continues to resort to these just bad shots that he keeps on going to time and time and time again, rather than just trying to find something new. I, that's a Morgan, this, beat, beat me, man. Million dollar. That's a million dollar question. I think part of it is is I think you look at like obviously they're extremely different players, but I think you look at someone like KD and you look at like his shot selection. I think you I think people I think you see that, and I think part of Julius is like he thinks he's he thinks he's that player. He thinks he can make shots off the dribble like that, and he thinks he can you know take these you know these like awkward looking shots that go in. But I just he just can't. And I think I think the, and I think when you say like we talk about RJ, like you know he shows he's working on shortcomings. Like, I, Julius Randle's had the same shortcomings, you know, the past year and a half. Even when he was lighting it up last season, like, we still saw the weaknesses, and I just feel like it hasn't changed. Yeah, I agree. Okay, let's, um, let's talk about Tibbs. Um, looking at this entire season with his reluctance to play non-veterans, except RJ, obviously, um, it's... His his reluctance has has decreased. He's been more willing to play guys like quickly more minutes because they have deserved it. But I think my one takeaway from this season is that Tibbs needs to take an acting or, or an improv class or, or something to learn that it's okay to go off script and go with the flow because him taking out yeah. quickly against Charlotte and just Come in on. general taking out guys that are clearly like the better options in favor of his guys. Like, I remember in the Portland game when the Knicks were going through that hellish stretch in February where they were blowing 20-point leads left and right. It was against Portland, and Evan Fournier subbed into the game in crunch time, and he was like 3 of 13, 3 of 14. He was still playing crunch time. Like, if Jericho Sims, I know it's hard to compare Fournier and Sims, but like, if Jericho Sims missed one defensive assignment, he's getting benched. Like, I just yeah. haven't really liked the short That's... leash, like, that short of leash on the, the young guys. But 
Tibbs this season, it, it's reminded me of this Phineas and Ferb episode. Now, Phineas and Ferb, I, I wasn't a huge Phineas and Ferb guy, um, but I watched enough. And one of the episodes I remember the best was when they were on one of their crazy ass adventures. And basically, Candace was reading The Wizard of Oz. And she passes out, and she wakes up on the yellow brick road, like the Wizard of Oz. It's a parody. And Candace has to get to, like, this destination. It's, like, Bustopolis, I think it's called. Bustopolis. I think she has to get there. I don't know why. But um, that's, like, her destination. And Phineas and Ferb, and uh, I think Isabella's there, too. And on the sides of the road are all these really fun paths. And Phineas and Ferb being the fun excited like adventurous dynamic duo they are um they go and embark on these crazy paths it's like trampolines uh it's like an ice cream like ice skating rink and they're just having a a blast and the whole time candace is like guys we have to stay on the yellow brick road or you're gonna get busted and eventually they get to the end and candace wakes up and her, their their mom comes in the room and she was like, how was your adventure? She was like, oh, I just kind of stayed on this yellow brick road the entire time. And Phineas was like, oh, it was so awesome. We went down all these fun paths. And the mom was like, Candace, you should have you should have gone down those paths with them. And Candace was like, you know what? I should. Now, how does this relate at all to the Knicks? Is probably so what, what, is, what is this, right my now. English class? What do you want me to do, analysis of two paths? <laughs> What do you want, five-page essay on how Phineas and Ferb relates to the New York Knicks basketball season? Hey, that's so, a fun essay. <laughs> Tibbs is take, has taken the role of Candace in that episode. Despite all these av- um, despite all of, like these lineups with Quickly and McBride, Grimes, Top, and Sims, despite all of these possibilities he has with all these opportunities, like the young guys are basically the fun paths. Like the quicklies and the toppins, like putting them in and giving them minutes and going down those paths, like that's the avenue that, like Phineas and Ferg, like they represent Knicks fans. They're like, let's do this. Like Alec Burks, great backup wing. I want to see Emmanuel quickly play the entire game. And Candace's Tibbs just to do that. And I think right now, or at least what it seems, he's like Candace at the end of that episode, realizing, hmm. Like, this is fun, and we have gotten wins because of it over, like, Miami. Yeah, that's like, a, that's a, the, like, the, the heat are like, legit, are... man. The heat are legit. So I hope I made some sense there. But do you, do you think this can continue into next season, Tibbs favoring um, the guys that they have invested draft picks in over guys like – now, look, I think, I think all of them should still start. Randall, Fournier, Barrett. Obviously, Barrett. Like, Randall, Fournier, Burks. Like, Burks, maybe not. But, like, Randall, uh, Fournier, I think they should still start. But I just think in those crunch time situations, you ride a hot hand, like, quickly. You ride a hot hand. Like, let's say Grimes has five or six threes. Like, just keeping them in the game. Do you think that is you believe can continue into next season? Mm. Do I want to continue next season? Yes. Do I think it will? I'm not sure. I feel like we kind of always are like, oh, is Tibbs going to finally, you know, go off the Elbert Road and actually, you know, start the kids. But I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, you could just think of so many times a season when we were kind of, you know, 
out of games or finally come back into games, you know, with our younger players or a second unit. And then he's just like, nope, Evan Fournier, you're back in. Uh, it's like, it's like, what are you doing, bro? So I think hopefully at least now, you know, I mean, look at it, like that. Miami was like, that's, that's a team right now competing to be the top seed in the East. And we, we beat them on their home court with our younger players. Emmanuel Cookie looked amazing. So I, I hope that Tibbs at least looks at this and says, hmm, you know, like you said, like, it's it's fine. Like, I, I agree. This, like, Evan Fournier should still start. But I think he has to be comfortable riding hot hand more. Sometimes, like, not every single player is going to, you know, shoot, like, 60% from the field every night, you know. Some games you're going to have to realize, you know what, Evan Fournier is not playing great. But, you know what, Emmanuel Cookley's playing amazing tonight. So let, let's ride him. Let's have him play five minutes versus be like, you know, we have to stick to these certain, you know, Emmanuel Cookley's only going to get to play 25 minutes, and once he reaches that, I'm taking him out. I think what the Knicks should do as an organization is hire, like, an assistant coach that's, like, right by Thibodeau's, like, ear. And it's like, listen, Emmanuel Quickly or R.J. Barrett's having a hot hand. Keep him in. He's kind of like the Knicks fans, like, a Knicks fan on, like, the coaching staff being like, keep him in. He's hot. Just just keep him in. And I think Tibbs just kind of needs that, like, reassurance that, like, yeah, it might not work out, but it, we just got to see what happens at this point. I mean, like like we keep on saying in these past games, when you, when we ride the hot hand, we're, we're getting wins. When we're playing the younger players, something he's been hesitant to do, we've been winning. So I think they need to either hire an assistant coach or like someone that Thibodeau's trust that when they say, hey, ride the hot hand or let the young players play, I think he would be able to um, play the players. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like it'll be like comforting a friendly yard sale. It's like reluctant to sell this one thing that is obviously yeah. of no value to them. It's like AKA Evan Fournier. It's okay, Tom. Tom, it's okay. Just just leave him in. Evan Fournier is three of seventeen from the field. We don't we don't need to put him in. <laughs> but honestly, with Fournier diverting from Tibbs to Fournier, like I think the Knicks got what they paid for. Yeah, they got what they paid for. It's a fair contract. It's a little pricey, but Evan Fournier is probably the best pure shooter the Knicks have had in a while. Maybe since Steve Novak, I might say. Hey, no, no, we don't, we're not going that far. <laughs> Steve Novak is in a class of his own. You know that. Yeah, no, I know that, of course, but no, but jokes aside, I mean, I think, I, I still, I will stand by decision to, you know, get move on from Reggie Bullock and bring in Evan Fournier. I, I think this is what the team needed, especially when you look at that Atlanta series last year, it was like, the second, like, Julius Randle could have produced it was, like, no no one else could, you know, just off the ball score, and it was just not looking great. And I think, you know, I think, like, we knew what we were going to get in for me. Like, it's not like he was, a, you know, established NBA star. It was like, he's, he's some guy. He's a tricky guy. He could he could give you 25 one night. He could go 317 the next night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, sure, it's a little bit of an overpayment, but I think in free agency nowadays, you kind of have to do a little bit of an overpayment to get these guys. And, I mean... Is that is in like although like it's not amazing like it, it's working out for us kind of like you know he's giving us minutes and he's scoring the ball pretty decently. All right. I mean, um, you, oh yeah, Morgan, go ahead. I mean, Evan Fournier, like he has these games where I'm like, oh my god, he, he he's on fire when he's like when he's on yeah. his own. No, no <laughs> one's on, not he's on that, fire. But when he's off, he is off. And he's, Those heat checks, so I think he's kind of like the personification of like Tim's coaching strategy. 
Just always avert to what you know. When Evan Fournier starts to get off, he doesn't stop shooting. Should he? Yes. But does he? No. So, but yeah, I think we just, we paid for what we got. He's a streaky player. When he's on, when he's on, he's on. And we deal with the consequences when he's not having a good night. All right. Um, before we get out of here, MVP, I didn't have you guys prepare for this, but right now, who is your top? If you want, if you can give me your top five, oh. that would All be right. lovely. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this so Ethan actually has time to think of a legitimate list. Um, Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. Interesting. Okay. Um, a couple of questions. One, why Embiid over Giannis? Um, Jokic is playing in the West, which is are I would arguably say better like top talent. The East might be more like well balanced, but in the West, like there's a couple teams that are just a tier below a tier above everyone. Um the Nuggets are like right on that fringe with Jokic in without having a Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. So he's essentially carrying the Nuggets meanwhile. You can look at um Embiid and he has Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, now James Harden to kinda ease up the load. So as for MVP, I think I'm taking it to the fundamental level of most valuable player. Without without um, Jokic, the Nuggets are one of the worst teams in the league right now. Without um, Embiid, the Sixers can arguably stay afloat, maybe making that play in or better. But I, that's why I have Jokic number one. Okay, well, well, why why Embiid over Giannis? Embiid's just been, I would say, more dominant more just when he has the ball and when he goes to shoot, I feel like that's going to go more than Giannis. Giannis might be more impactful on the defensive side of the um, defensive side of the court, but for like offense and for just, it's kind of a gut feeling in a way where I just feel that Embiid is more I feel like Embiid just having that season where he's like, okay, this is finally what we see, like Joel Embiid finally being, finally reaching his potential. Meanwhile, Giannis, we know he's an MVP candidate, and plus Giannis has won multiple MVPs before, so I can see the um, the organization being less likely to choose him for MVP over Embiid. Question. Okay, what, about, what, about you? what about you? What about you? Just forgetting about what other people think. <laughs> if you could choose. If you could choose, because it sounds like other people are influencing. Your and, also, and also, Jokic won last year, so wouldn't that kind of impact it? Because we don't want to do back-to-back MVPs. That's true. Morgan, I, you I have just been, have a you gut are getting feeling. hashtag exposed, and the gut feelings do not fly. So your gut takes are hashtag invalid. Yeah, uh, I stand by my statement. I, okay, I don't that's know fine. why. I don't know why I think Embiid's over Giannis, and just something's telling me just have him over. Is there a Sixers know. fan? There's a Sixers fan in your. There's a Sixers fan in your ear. There's a Sixers yeah. fan in your walls. There's a I Sixers think, fan think, in your ceiling. I think I can see him. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere around you, there's. I just know yeah. it. Okay, uh, I, more, I Ethan, what do you, what okay. do you got? So at the top, I'll give you some backup. We're gonna, I'm gonna go, Jokic one. I'm gonna go Giannis two. Embiid three. Uh, LeBron four. John Morant five. 
So no Devin Booker. Devin, I, I'm I'm pretty like on the fringe with uh, John Morant. I, I through no fault of his own. I think he's had an amazing season. Will probably win most improved. But I also, I also feel like the way the Grizzlies have been playing without him is almost kind of taking him out of MVP considerations in a way because it's kind of like, oh, wait, they're also kind of a nasty team without him. Well, yeah, and the funny thing is that that's, like, not even his fault. It's not, his, it's not even his without. fault, but, like, yeah. like So I honestly think Booker might slide in there and, like, probably will. I have it, Giannis over Embiid pretty biased because of last night against the Nets. Oh my god! Oh my god! I want that so. Oh my god! I, I've never wanted anything more in this moment <laughs> than a Yon, another Yon, another Bucks Nets playoff. Yeah, series. no, that was, Giannis that was hit the three and I started screaming. Game. Yeah, <laughs> when he hit the yeah. game tying three, I was yeah. like, "Oh my god! I I've ascended." Giannis is now willingly is... taking three point shots and, at the and to win yeah. the, to tie the game, not to like, oh no, the nah, shot clock's yeah, about to expire. Just... expire. No, he's willingly shooting them, and they're going in. That's and then he hits the go-ahead free throws. Yeah, no, he was, he was the that, same. I think, to me, that was a little more impressive. That, that was a massive MVP moment last night, and then also the fact that he already dropped 40 earlier in the week against the 76ers. Like, I, I think that's just, it's a massive weekend for me. Joel Embiid's also had a great year, but I just think recently you think of like just having that signature moment so late in the season, like dropping 44 in the nest with that insane three, like – I just think that moves up to second. And I think Jokic, kind of like Morgan touched on, like, I know it's back to back, not his popular choice, but I mean, you, th- you just look at what he's done this year without having Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray for the entire season, basically. And the fact that the Nuggets are still, you know, one of the top teams in the West. And, you know, like, I just think he has such a unique skill set. Like, his passing is a big man's. Say he's, at this point, arguably the best pass from the league, which for a big man is. High praise. I think I will run it for. Um, and I mean, not much needs to be said. Lakers kind of stink this year. Kind but of. Le- kind but of. LeBron, kind LeBron's, of. yeah. Well, Ethan, uh, the, the 11th seed. They're, they're a little stinky I, right now. <laughs> I want to be respectful of Melo. I don't want to say they, they suck, but I think LeBron's had a pretty good year, like, year by himself. But I think, and, you know, he might win a scoring title, but I think this. Missing all those games, it never helps your MVP case. So I really, I really think he he maxes out at four. I think I think the top three is pretty. There's a pretty like big gap between three and four at this point. And you know, I think this the way things are going, anything could happen in the last like week or so that could flip it for me, honestly. Okay, I like that. Okay, my top five: Jokic is one, Giannis is two, and Bead is three. Okay, so I can pick between for four and five: Booker, Luca, Tatum, Ja, LeBron. I can't put Dur- he Durant hasn't played enough. Yeah, I, I think I, Durant's I, missed Durant. a little too much time. I agree. Uh, I don't know, man. I, Booker, Luca. Fair enough. Luca, Luca's also happening in the same year. So, I think with Giannis. Yeah, it helps that he's on this run that he is, but I also just think it's easier to root for Giannis because I'm in that camp too. He's just like everything you want in a basketball player. He can yeah. play anywhere, like anytime you need him. Julius family um, needs to watch him more. I was watching I was the you see the final play in regulation when Durant was icing on Wesley Matthews, I was like, Wait, why isn't Giannis guarding hit? And then I look over to my left and Giannis is just prowling. 
just just waiting for Menace, Durant yeah. to, to dare drive into the paint. But yeah, he's like, like ah, I dare you. He's playing the Robert Williams role. Uh, rest, yeah. rest in peace to the Boston Celtics. Um, Defensive player of the year, I'll say. <laughs> um, but he can do basically, not basically anything, but I can't think of another guy that just like has the gravity and impact that the kind that Giannis has. And again, there's nothing extra. He just plays basketball and he loves playing basketball and he's nice in the media and he tells dad jokes and he's just a lovable, very lovable yeah, guy. It, he also it, happens to be a freakazoid who might, who might end his career. Who, if he retired today, he's top 15 all time. Ooh. Maybe top tw- 15, 20. That's fair. I've never really, I, I've never really thought about, I guess, if he retires right now where he stands, but I mean, I think he could, if legacy. there's anyone that can crack the top five right now, I went over this a little bit ago with a couple of my writers, uh, Gibson and Zach, like where Giannis can finish. Like, I think if there's anyone that can crack that top five, he's probably on the best trajectory just cause he's 27 and he already yeah, has, he still has the accolades that he has. Yeah, no, I think out of the players currently, yeah, I think he probably has the best chance of cracking the top five. Because he still has so much. Because he's just entering his prime now, honestly. Like he's literally was, in his prime right now. He's twenty-seven. Yeah, he's ten. Yeah, he, no, is, so, he is in ba- in basketball terms. He's in his prime. Yeah, you know, we'll, um, see, we'll see. Like the next like four or five years, just. And I think this is the way too is because I think he's been, like I don't know. I think, he, I mean, I don't want to say because I feel like this is the way he's built. I'd be worried about injuries, but, I mean, I think he could he could probably still play until his late thirties. So yeah. Obviously, yeah. obviously, it's going to be difficult to win a few more titles, but I think if he wins a few more titles, perhaps another MVP or two, and just keeps up his pace, you know, he he could really have be in a conversation for top five. Yeah, and I think the Bucks. We could be here for another twenty, thirty minutes talking about the Bucks. But um, gosh, yeah. I don't know whether to pick them or Miami. But like the case with them, like just in crunch time, they are so strong. Yeah, in crunch no, time. Like sad. Drew Holiday is is everywhere. Yeah, no, that, was, just, that was such a just, great pick. They, they have players that matter in crunch time. Like, they just yeah. have so many players that matter and make a difference, which I really, really like. Yeah, um, I like that. And then what – oh, Booker. So, Booker, I kind of had to place in my top five just because the Suns are so historically awesome. And for whatever reason, it's flying way yes. further under the radar than I think. I, I don't – yeah, like, they, they made the finals last year. They're, they're literally they – might, they might – they're going to win 65 games. Yeah, which is And not insane. a lot of people seem to be carrying – that much and Booker, playoffs. it's not like they're the 04 Pistons where they don't have like one superstar. Like Devin Booker's a superstar. I'm willing to put him in that superstar category. Yeah, like he is. Yeah. Now you are. Yeah, now yeah, yes. Now I, I will. I will accept that I've been mom on Devin Booker. I'm. I've been a part of the crowd that has been mom on Devin Booker that has been unwilling to put him in any kind of top. Uh, 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 on with the top players in the game. Well, okay? what were you I'll admit that. I'm not, I don't know if I put him top ten. We're going to be here for another 20 minutes. Okay, I'm, I'm willing to admit, I'm willing to throw Booker in my MVP conversation. A premier yeah. player on a 60-plus win team. That is clearly the best in the league. Yeah. Okay, that yeah. is that. That's and Luka, um, I don't know, you could pick any one of like Luka, Tatum, Jod, LeBron, and maybe not DeRozan. But any one of those four, I think Luka is just like, he has reached a point where he can just like do shit. In the middle of a game, just like do whatever. Yeah, now he's, he's and that, I, I think that, that he... point is very that point is very hard to reach as basketball players, where you can just like screw around in the middle of a game and you're still yeah. like awesome. No, yeah, he can just do whatever so, yeah. he wants. It's scary. All right, um, guys, Something this was fun. Time. This was fun.
Uh, I see yeah. the Knicks in person next week. They're coming to DC. Oh, I should They're playing the Zards. They're playing nope. the Zards. I'm I extremely to to excited Zards to watch. Games. I'm extreme. Well, there's only a few left, so you better hurry up. Uh, it was jo- it was a. Uh, it was a. Uh, it was George Mirson bobblehead night the other night. Uh, oh, you should, dude, you should have pulled. Yeah, should have pulled up. They're giving out George Mirson bobbleheads. Oh, that's um, sick. I'm gonna have to pull up. It was. It, they have no cool cherry blossom jerseys that Kyle Kuzma so elegantly modeled for the whole I, world. I, 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 that I was think fun. he designed them. <laughs> um, but yeah, the Knicks play in person, and I'm excited. To, I'm excited to see them. I haven't seen the Knicks play in person, and I think. It's going to be 10 years since the last time I've seen the Knicks play in person because wow. the last game was the Carmelo game winner against the Bulls in the Garden. Oh, you saw or that the, the The game tire game winner game in 2012. Yeah, oh, we, were, we were there. Yeah. Oh, that's That was lovely. the last time I saw the Knicks play in person. So that's I'm like, really that's excited. Like, that's probably the greatest Knicks game over the past. Like, oh, yeah, that's top five easily. Um, 20 years. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm excited to see them play in person. Um, the, the season was, it was disappointing, but, um, there were some silver linings and I'm glad we dug them out and I'm glad we investigated a little bit. And, um, yeah, I'm just hoping for like March madness has been, I'm just hoping for an exciting playoffs that is filled with just high quality, high octane top tier basketball. Hope so. I got, I got, I got one more thing. One more oh God. Question. What Ben Simmons to the Ben Simmons. Yeah. Ben Simmons take Simmons, Ben Simmons has been traded. It, it Zion is, it, to the Knicks. The, the, no, um, Dame. Mm. A- anything, uh, a- any any life form going I'll, there. I'll 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 do you one better. What if we What if we trade Julius Randle to the Trailblazers because they want to pair someone up with Dame? Who do we get? CJ Allaby. The cap space, like a water protected pick. That's that's all it would take for me at this point. If they're like take him. Wow, you're in. really you're really that off. Have we reversed okay, no, back here's, to 2019? Uh, no, I think we're somewhere in the middle. Like, I think we're in like a Josh Allen with the Bills. Like, it was bad in 2019. It was oh, godly in 2020. 2021, like a regular season, regular season, Josh Allen. 2021, he was somewhere in the middle of those. I think we're I think we're in that. Yeah, I think we'll we're see. in that range. So yeah, um, guys, thanks for joining. Yeah, thanks uh, for having us on. Yeah, it's always an I honor. Will, I will Until see you guys later. Time. See you. Till next time.